Hello and welcome to As We Wait, an in-depth verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. Join pastor and teacher Mike Scanlon of Calvary Chapel, Susanville, California, as he continues the study through the Old Testament book of Judges. This is the conclusion of a two-part study of Judges, Chapter 1. You have a few moments, so why don't you grab your Bibles and follow along? Please turn to Judges, Chapter 1. As I wait, you Moving on now to verse 16. And the children of the Kenite, Moses' father-in-law, went up out of the city of palm trees with the children of Judah into the wilderness of Judah, which lieth in the south of Arad. And they went and dwelt among the people. The Kenites, if you remember, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, their descendants were basically nomadic herdsmen. Initially, they'd been invited to join in with the children of Israel, and they kind of, nah, no thanks. But later on, they must have changed their mind because now here they are. And being guys, nomadic, wandering around the desert and so forth, at some point they must have camped out in the ruins of Jericho, the city of palm trees, and then they move on. And so they move on to the place around Arad or Arad. And uh, I actually got to camp out there about a year ago and hike out there. And man, talk about a desolate place. I mean, unless you know where the water is at and all that kind of stuff, you're in big trouble. And so these guys valued that land because it is good for cattle and stuff or for small herds. Verse 17, And Judah went with Simeon, his brother, and they slew the Canaanites that inhabited Zephath and utterly destroyed it. And the name of the city was called Hormah. Also Judah took Gaza with the coast thereof, and Ashkelon with the coast thereof, and Ekron with the coast thereof. And the Lord was with Judah. This is an important point. And the Lord was with Judah. And he drove out the inhabitants of the mountains, but could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley because they had chariots of iron. And so the tribes of Judah and Simeon combine. They take these various territories and stuff. But then we get to the last part of verse 19b, if you will. They could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley because they had chariots of iron. It's like, you know what? That's not why they couldn't drive them out. I mean, they'd already gone up against armies with lots of chariots, lots of horses. Chariots of iron is not the issue here. Okay, The issue is one of faith. I'm going to give you two possible reasons. We could probably come up with more. But two possible reasons why they, quote-unquote, couldn't take this particular part of land, and it's because they didn't even try, or they're too scared to go out, because God had already given them the victory. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 1, When thou goest out to battle against thine enemies, and seest horses and chariots and a people more than thou, be not afraid of them, for the Lord thy God is with thee, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. If they'd just gone out, as God had said, and been obedient to his word, they would have been given the victory. But for some reason, and I think, again, it's fear, lack of faith, they didn't. The second reason that I would offer to you about why they couldn't do this, so to speak, was simply the result of their disobedience. They were disobedient to God's word, and he said, if you're disobedient to my word, then I will not drive out your enemies from before you. And so we see the fruit of it. And we read about that in Joshua chapter 23. Joshua 23, verse 11. Take good heed, therefore, unto yourselves, that you love the Lord your God. Else if you do in any wise go back and cleave unto the remnant of these nations, even these that remain among you, 
and shall make marriages with them and go in unto them and they to you, know for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps unto you and scourges in your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good land which the Lord your God hath given you. And so we've got these two potential reasons anyway. I think we've got it covered. But the bottom line is they're being partially obedient, which means they're being disobedient. They're fearful. They're not exercising any kind of faith. God has given them the victory, and they're looking for worldly means of accomplishing the task. And basically, even though the first time I read this, I'll be honest with you, I didn't see some of these things. I didn't quite catch what was going on. The gist here, and I go, well, this doesn't seem like a bad start. I mean, they're going out, and they're getting the victories, and yeah, they couldn't quite get these guys. And then you start thinking about it a little bit, and hold it. Isn't it interesting how one little compromise leads to another little compromise? that leads to another compromise. And, and then as they start to stack up a little bit, they start to get a little bigger, a little bigger, and it gets easier and easier. And as we go through the rest of this book, in fact, the next chapter, the Lord himself comes down and rebukes them. And it's like, because you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And it becomes more and more obvious that their disobedience is having a direct impact on their relationship with the Lord. You know, the issue here wasn't so much chariots, but their focus on the chariots and their focus on the Lord. The psalmist tells us, and we see this come true in Psalm 20 verse 7, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of our Lord. We're called to esteem God higher and mightier than anything the enemy can bring against us and to trust him in his word. Anyway, in verse 20, it says, and they gave Hebron unto Caleb, as Moses said, and he expelled thence the three sons of Anak. And so Caleb receives Hebron, he's victorious over the giants. And again, I think this is mentioned as a reminder that these things are possible. And they are. Paul writes to the Philippians in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, again, if God commands us to do something, then he'll enable us to do it. And that's what they're struggling against. That's seemingly why they're failing. Then in verse 21, And the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites that inhabited Jerusalem, but the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem unto this day. The Benjamites couldn't drive out the Jebusites, and so they remained there in place until King David, some 400 and something years later, King David would come in and he'd wipe out the Jebusites and he would take over the city, and then it would be known as the city of David, and it would become Jerusalem. But uh, they couldn't do it either. Then we get to verse 22, through a few more verses here. It says, In the house of Joseph... They also went up against Bethel, uh, means the house of God. And the Lord was with them. And the house of Joseph sent to, it says in King James, to describe, means to, to spy out or to reconnoiter Bethel. Now the name of the city before that was Luz. And the spies saw a man come forth out of the city, and they said unto him, Show us, we pray thee, the entrance into the city, and we shall show mercy unto you. And when he showed them the entrance into the city, and they smote the city with the edge of the sword, but they let go the man and all his family. And the men went into the land of the Hittites and built a city and called the name thereof Luz, which is the name thereof unto this day. So the house of Joseph, that's referring to the tribe of Ephraim or the half-tribe of Manasseh that was on the uh, east side of the uh, River Jordan. And that key phrase there, it says the Lord was with them. That's important. If God is with you, how can we not be victorious? It's a shame that they weren't completely victorious. But it says that they sent the spies out to descry and reconnoiter and stuff. But why would they even do that? God says, I've given you the victory. They should just march up and do it, you know. 
they're trying to figure out a way to do it. And one of the things is about some of the cities in those days, and Jerusalem's a good example, they always had a main gate. They always had a main gate that was the main entrance in and out of the city. And it was always fortified and protected and stuff. But oftentimes they had, quote-unquote, a secret entrance into a city. And during King Hezekiah's day, they got their water from a spring, the Gahon Spring, just outside of the city walls. And what they did was, in this case, they dug what's known as Hezekiah's Tunnel. They dug a tunnel underground from the spring into the city, and so water would flow in the city, and then they covered the spring over so nobody could see it. But if you knew it was there, you could get into the spring and follow the tunnel and get into the city. And they had the same thing in Megiddo, a spring that fed the city. They covered it up, camouflaged it, if you will, and that was the secret entrance into the city. Well, there were a lot of cities like that. And so these guys were asking them, okay, where's the secret entrance? We'll spare your life. The thing is, is that God didn't say go through the land and make deals with them and let some of them live to go out and build other cities that you can have to conquer again later. (laughs) He said, kill them. He said, wipe them out. And there were reasons for that. But if they didn't know what to do, they could have asked God. Okay, God, we're here for the battle. Do we march around and blow trumpets? Do we assault the place? Lord, what do we do? And haven't we all been there where we get to a situation and we're not really sure what to do? And, you know, we can just kind of go, well, you know, and figure out what our options are and make deals and all that kind of stuff. Or we can, as we should do, stop and ask God what to do. You know, James tells us in James chapter 1, verse 5, he says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it should be given to him. So often we resort to trying to figure things out on our own or asking other people what to do. But God is always right there. And, you know, I don't mind when people call me for counsel, and I'm here for that. But the first thing I do when people call me for counsel, I mean, I could tell you, you know, I could be the answer man. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, click them off. But the very first thing I begin to do when people call me for counsel is I begin to pray, God, it may be like an outright, I know exactly what to do. And that's what scares me the most. Because that's when I need to pray the most. And so I'll begin to pray, God, I need wisdom in this. I need your direction for this particular circumstance. And God is faithful to do that. So basically the spies cut a deal with this guy, leaving the city. They show where the secret entrance is, and they show him mercy. But again, this contradicts the explicit instruction from God's word. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 16, But of the cities of these nations, which the Lord thy God doth give thee for an inheritance, thou shalt save alive nothing that breathes. But thou shalt utterly destroy them, namely the Hittites and the Amorites, the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, as the Lord thy God has commanded thee, here's why, verse 18, that they teach you not to do after their abominations, which they have done unto their gods, so should you sin against the Lord your God. This was intended to be a protection by not following God's word to the letter and letting these people live for different reasons. They're cutting their own throat. They're shooting themselves in the foot because all these things are going to come back and bite them. Every single one of these things is going to be, just like God said, a thorn in their eye and and whatever in their rib, I forgot what it was, but it's going to come back and it's going to get them. These were intended to be a protection, and now they're setting these things aside. They're setting that protection aside. Look at verse 27. It says, Neither did Manasseh drive out the inhabitants of Bet-Chan and her towns, nor Tanak and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Dor or her towns, nor the inhabitants of Iblium and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Megiddo and her towns. But the Canaanites dwell in that land. And it came to pass, when Israel was strong, 
they put the Canaanites to tribute and did not utterly drive them out. Now, notice with Manasseh, it's different than as we read previously. It says that neither did Manasseh drive out. It didn't say he couldn't, just that they didn't. Okay? Subtle difference there. And it comes down to finances. Partial disobedience, if you will. It says later on, they put them to tribute. If we compromise in this one area, or if we just kind of ignore that part of God's word, we can make some pretty good money. And so what do they do? They put the Canaanites and these guys to tribute, meaning they force them to bring them taxes, if you will. And so for the sake of finances, they did not do what God called them to do. How many Christians have faced the same decision? About, well, you know, if I'm obedient in this, that's really going to cost me. I'm not sure how I'll make it. It's funny, when it comes down to tithing, I remember when I first began to tithe, that was my biggest concern. If I do this, I'm not going to be able to pay my bills. And it just sat back, and I, and I couldn't figure it out. And the Lord just spoke to me, just be obedient and trust me. And I was blown away that as I began to be obedient in that part, trying to be obedient, how the Lord made up the difference in so many different ways. And it's been such a blessing, and it's a part of our maturing as Christians. But we can't let finances dictate whether we're obedient to God or not. You know, I've heard so many different couples at times, well, you know, we just can't afford to live apart. <laughs> well, so you can afford to go to hell? You can afford that, huh? <laughs> anyway, it's a difficult thing because they put up a tribute, and again, if we compromise or ignore God's word, it will come back to bite us. And we see in verse 29, Neither did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites that dwelt in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwell in Gezer among them. Okay, Not just that they're separate, now they're blended Okay, among them. Neither, verse 30, did Zebulun drive out the inhabitants of Kitron, nor the inhabitants of Nathal, but the Canaanites dwelt among them and became tributaries. So compromise, make some money. Verse 31, neither did Asher drive out the inhabitants of Akko, nor the inhabitants of Zidon, or Ahlab, or Akzib, nor Helba, nor Aphek, nor Rehob. But the Asherites dwelt among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive, not could not, did not drive them out. Neither did Naphtali drive out the inhabitants of beth Bethbetshemesh, nor the inhabitants of Bethanath, but dwelt among the Canaanites. The inhabitants of the land, nevertheless, the inhabitants of Bethshemesh and of Bethanath became tributaries unto them. It seems like it's a popular thing. Hey, those guys are making some pretty good money at this. you know. And so they pass on the tip. Verse 34, And the Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountains. Now, see, now we've got it reversed. This is the first reversal. It's gone from, well, we couldn't kick their butt, we couldn't drive them out, couldn't kill them all, and we let them be. Now we've got them pushing back the other way. And go, no, 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 you guys get up in the mountains where you belong. This ain't for you. This is my side of town. You know what I mean? Now the Amorites are calling the shots. Verse 35, but the Amorites would dwell in the Mount Herez and in Ahalan and in Sha'alabim, yet the hand of the house of Joseph prevailed so that they became tributaries. And the coast of the Amorites was from the going up of Akrabim, from the rock, and upward. And so now you've got Zebulun, Ephraim, Asher, and Naphtali. They drive out the inhabitants, but they live among them, and they force them to pay tribute. The Amorites forced Dan back in the mountains and would not suffer or allow them to come into the valley. Shame on us if we allow the enemy to dictate to us where we can and can't go. 
or if we allow the enemy to keep us from taking all the territory that God has for us spiritually in our promised land. Jesus, when he was on the cross, he said, it is finished. It's done. The victory is there. The shed blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sins. And there's times when we've all at times, I'm sure, dealt with sins that were persistent, sins that were stubborn. Have you ever talked to a sin? No, I won't go. No, I won't go. Get back, get back. When God has said, you know what? Why listen to that voice? Wipe them out. Eradicate them. Deal with it. The Canaanites, the Amorites, and all the other rites, they're a type or a symbol of sin in our lives. And Paul tells us in Galatians 5.17, he says, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. If we don't deal with sin in our lives in a biblical way, it will overtake us and eventually kill us. And that's what we're going to see in this book. That's the sad part of this book, that because they don't deal with these nations when God said he would help them. If you're obedient, if you're just faithful and move, I will deal with this for you. All you've got to do is show up. And when they stopped showing up, and when they stopped showing interest, when they stopped showing reverence for God's word by being obedient to God's word, God says, okay, if that's how you're going to be, I'm backing up. And when God backs up, what happens? Now the Israelites are going to get their butts kicked. There they're going to be the ones in slavery. The devil is a cruel taskmaster. He is not merciful. He's not loving. He's not kind. He's not forgiving. All he wants to do is kill us but he wants to humiliate us and make us pay dearly along the way. And then the end of it. And we've got to be so careful. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, he says, Neither give place to the devil. Don't allow the enemy any foothold in our lives. And that's part of our Christian life is asking the Lord, God, where have I made a concession to the enemy? Where have I allowed him a foothold in my life? Like it says in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, now search my heart, O oh God, and try me, and see if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Help me to see what I can't see. Help me to understand what I don't understand, and give me the power to deal with that. We have to be careful not to make allowances for sin in our lives. In this battle, sin and righteousness are battling constantly for mastery over us. And I remember when I was a cop, and I'd have these guys hooked up in the back seat, and we were riding to the station. And he's going, man, I'm going to kick your butt. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I didn't always do it, but I'd never. And I go, well, what about the handcuffs? <laughs> well, if you take these off, well, I ain't taking them off. And our enemy, the enemy of our soul, has been handcuffed and hobbled. An arrow shot through his heart. All he can do is talk. And talk is cheap. We've got to be very careful that we don't take heed to the enemy as opposed to taking heed to the Word of God. And again, in this book, the thing that stands out as we go through it, and I hope it will stand out to you, is the lack of the Word of God in the lives of the children of Israel. There's no mention of it even as we go through this book. Why is that? Why is that? It's an interesting litmus for Christians. That when we get together and we talk, we have fellowship, we enjoy maybe dinner at each other's homes or back and forth, and it's really interesting, the topic of conversation. Is it always about football? Is it always about work or hobbies or other things? Is it always that? 
or do we talk about the things of the Lord? And when I start talking with somebody, I go, man, and just off the cuff, you man, I was this one study just ministered to me the other day, or I was reading such and such, or in my devotion, man, the Lord just rocked my house, and he broke my heart, or man, the elation of whatever. You talk to people, and it's like, wow, you know, you get into it. But then you talk with other Christians, and it's like, man, all they want to talk about is work, or the football game, or this, or that, or school, or da-da-da-da. And after a while, you realize, man, <laughs> where are they at? And it's okay, I mean, it's, but it's just one of those things. And so I try to bring God's Word into the conversation to make it part of something, to encourage people. But that's the thing that we see through this book, is that what's the result? We see the radical ups and downs. We see the slavery and the result of sin. (laughs) You can draw a correlation to the lack of the Word of God. The first step that this new generation took towards defeat and slavery was neglecting the Word of God. And then generations after that made the same mistake. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Verse 34, he says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap up to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned to fables. The prophet Joel, he talks about there's a time when there will be a famine for the hearing of the word of God. He's often misquoted as being a famine for the word of God. there's no famine for the Word of God. I mean, I'm getting cases of Bibles donated to the church from people that don't want them or that want to use them different ways. I'm getting cases of Bibles given to the church at times, and it's like, I got all these Bibles, what do I do with them? I'll take them. I'm I'm going to give them out to somebody. In our little town, there's 42 churches, last count. That's a lot of churches for a little town. You can go to Walmart and buy a Bible. I think you can go to Safeway and buy a Bible. You can go buy a Bible at Costco. You can get online and get Bibles anywhere. You can go to all kinds of Bible stores. There's not a famine for the Word of God. The Word of God is sitting out there neglected. Joel says the famine is for the hearing of the Word of God. And by hearing, it implies the doing of the Word of God. And I pray that as God's people, as Christians, we would learn this lesson and learn it well. And that we would not fall into the same trap. Beloved, let's deal with our sins. Let's not let it any place in our life, in our house, our body. Go through your houses. Go through your video collection. (laughs) Go through your stuff. Ask God to reveal the areas in our lives that needs to be cleaned out, eradicated, dealt with, burned up. I loved it, man. We went through my house one time. And we've gone through my house many times, I might add. One time, man, we just found all these books. Like, oh, I can't believe I even had this book. So I took it out and I dunked it in the pool. They just blow up. Oh, that's not good enough. And then we made a burn thing. We burned a bunch of crummy books and chopped all the movies up with my chop saw. Jesus says, you know what? Deal with it. Pluck your eye out of that. Cut your hand off. Don't go out and pluck your eye out this weekend. And if you do, don't tell them I told you to. <laughs> it's one way to make the newspaper, I guess. But it means deal with it. And we need to deal with it. We're warned. This is a warning. Don't go there. Don't do that. Because here's what's going to happen if you do. Gracious Father, we ask that by your Spirit, 
you would strengthen us, Lord, to really learn these lessons in a corporate way as a church, but on a personal level as just your servant. Lord, help us to make no room, give no place to the devil in our lives. Lord, give us an increasing desire and a hunger and a thirst for your word. Keep us in your word, Father. We are foolish creatures. We're dumb sheep, Lord. Help us to stick close to our shepherd. Help us to abide in you. We love you, Lord. We thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that's all the time we have for now. You've just been listening to pastor and teacher Mike Scanlon of Calvary Chapel, Susanville, California, teaching the conclusion of a two-part in-depth study of the first chapter of Judges. Please join us again next time as we continue our study through the book of Judges and through the entire Bible. As We Wait is an outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Susanville, California. We pray that you are blessed and we'd like to invite you to join us in person. Calvary Chapel meets at 450 Richmond Road on Sunday mornings at 830 and 1030. Our Wednesday evening service begins at 7 and communion is celebrated the first Sunday of each month at 6 p.m. To get the entire study on CD, please call the church office at 530-257-4833. And if you've made a profession of faith and would like more information on what it is to walk with Jesus or want to know how to grow in your faith, we would love to hear from you. You can write to us at P.O. Box 1316, Susanville, California, 96130. All our services are streamed live on the web at www.ccsusanville.com. Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you.